You can stay standing and grab a Bible and open up to, uh, let's see here, open up to John chapter 14. It's on page 901 in the Pew Bible. Open up to John chapter 14. I'm going to read verses 12 through 14 for us this morning. John 14 verses 12 through 14. This is Jesus in the midst of a long conversation with his disciples. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Lord, one of the things that I want to ask in your name is that right now you would meet us, that you would guide us, that you would teach us, that you would make us aware of your presence here among us. And we ask that your will be done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can have a seat. Well, if you get the Park Weekly, you know that on Wednesday when it went out, I prayed in Jesus' name that the Minnesota Twins would beat the Houston Astros, move on to the next round of playoffs. That didn't happen. I asked it in Jesus' name. He says right here, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So am I not allowed to ask for that? Right? We wonder these things. Well, what, what is on limits, what is off limits to ask Jesus in his name? What if the prayer request is less selfish? What if it's like, God, please end the famine wherever it exists currently so that people could eat? God, please end world hunger. God, please be with my loved one who's in the hospital needing your care and guidance and healing in Jesus' name. God, please bring peace to the conflict between Israel and the Palestinians right now. In fact, let me pause and just pray for that. Would you join me? Gracious and merciful God, we pray for all persons suffering from this war. May they be held in your loving care and protection and given the strength to endure great suffering and hardship. Transform the hearts and the minds of all those who perpetuate violence and oppression Grant wisdom to world leaders in discerning how to be involved, that they may not be compromised by self-interest or blind indifference. Bring justice swiftly as you bring an end to this conflict and suffering. We ask all of this in the name of your Son, Jesus the Christ. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. So we pray and we pray and we pray. Whatever it is, I know each one of you has had something in your life that you pleaded and begged and prayed God for. And the answer probably didn't turn out the way that you wanted. Sometimes, yes, amen, we get what we ask. But we all have testimonies of times when we prayed and pleaded with God and we haven't gotten what we asked for. And so what does Jesus mean here in verse 14? He says, if you ask me anything in my name... I will do it. This is a huge pressure point for so many Christians and so many former Christians and so many people unsure if they should become Christians. 
Why does God allow suffering? Why do bad things happen? Why when I pray for good and for suffering to end and pray for what must be God's will, how could God's will not be to heal this conflict, to stop the war, to heal this person? How could it not be God's will? And yet he didn't answer it. He didn't give me what I asked for. This is a real tension that any follower of Jesus or like I said, former follower of Jesus, or curious to become a follower of Jesus person has wrestled with. And so we need to spend some time with these three verses today trying to figure out what does Jesus mean in context and what is he getting at when he says, you can ask me anything in my name and I will do it. This text, three verses, brings up six important questions for me. And so I'm just going to walk you through the six questions that I had as I poured over this text this week. Number one, what are the works of Jesus? What what are the works that he did? Number two, what are the greater works yet to be done? Number three, how will these greater works be accomplished? Number four, what does it mean to pray in Jesus' name? Number five, what should we ask for in Jesus' name? And number six, why doesn't God always do what we ask? And that's the key question for this morning. That's the pressure point for us in our relational walk with God. But in order to get to question number six, we have to understand some of the context of what is happening here. And so question number one, what are the works that Jesus did? Look at verse 12. He says, truly, truly, I say to you. And and, and the context here, we don't have time to get deep into the context of John chapter 13 through John chapter 17. And this is one of the tricky things about preaching and Bible study is that we are jumping into a few sentences of a long conversation that Jesus had with his disciples around a meal. And so it's really a soundbite, right? And I always want to caution you and myself to be aware of soundbites. A lot of what you see on the news, it's a soundbite. It's a statement taken out of context. And so we need to be careful that we don't do that with the Bible. And so to really understand what Jesus is saying here, it takes time to bathe in John 13 through 17 to see the entire context of this conversation. We're spending months in this conversation as we look at John 13 through 17 together. This morning, we're not going to have time to bring out all of the layers of context in this conversation. So so I just want to give you that preface here. But, but what we want to do is try to gather some of the surrounding context so that we can understand what Jesus is saying in these three verses. And so he says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, in the context of the book of John, is to believe, to trust, to have faith in Jesus. We've talked about that as we've gone. It's all over the book. Jesus says, believe in me, trust in me, have faith in me. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, whoever trusts in me, whoever has faith in me, will also do the works that I do, So my question is, what are the works that Jesus did? Well, even in this book, we've seen him healing the sick, healing those with diseases, healing paralyzed people. We've seen him multiply fish and loaves, feeding the hungry. We've seen him calming the wind and the waves. We've seen him casting out demons from people. We've seen him raise Lazarus from the dead. Pretty amazing stuff. As you read the Gospels, you see what Jesus does. So when he tells the disciples here in John 14, he says um, that, that whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. One of my questions is, let's be reminded, what are the works that Jesus did? I love what it says in, at the end of the book. The last verse of this book, of this letter, John says, now there are also many other things that could be miracles. I love that he words, uses the word things. Many other things that Jesus did. 
Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Isn't that amazing? John did life with Jesus, the author of this book. He did life with Jesus for three years, and he says everything that Jesus did, all of the things, the miracles, the teachings, the the works of Jesus and the words of Jesus and the ways of Jesus, if everything would be written, the world couldn't contain what was written about him. That's fascinating, right? I just I love that John ends his book that way. Like, just be fascinated with Jesus. He is bigger than you could ever imagine. He will blow your mind. But what's equally fascinating is that Jesus just said that we will do greater works than him. Before we move on to the next question here, I just wanna I just wanna bring this up too as kind of a summary of the works that Jesus did. Jesus' primary work in all of the miracles that he did, all of the teachings, all of the examples that he gave us. His primary work was to glorify God the Father by loving God and people. And that's all over the book of John. That's the primary work of Jesus. Loving God required trust, which produced obedience. Look at John verse 14, uh, John chapter 14, verse 31. Jesus, in this conversation, he says, But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Jesus' obedience to God the Father showed love. It proved love. It didn't produce love. Love produced trust in Jesus, Jesus' trust in God, and that trust in God produced obedience. We're going to talk about that next week as we get into the the last part of John chapter 14 here. How love produces trust, which produces obedience. That's super important for us as followers of Jesus to get that order right. We'll talk about that more next week. And this is just something to keep in mind here, that Jesus' primary work was to glorify God the Father by loving God and people. And his love required him to trust, believe, have faith in God, which produced his obedience. And it also, his love, it was loving people required sacrifice, which resulted in death. Look at John 15, 13. Jesus says, Greater love has no one other than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. This is the primary work of Jesus. All of his miracles, all of his works, all of his teaching, all of his ways were to glorify God by loving God and loving others. So then that brings us to the next question. What are the greater works yet to be done? Like it's so fascinating that John says the very last sentence of this book, if we try to record all of what Jesus has done, the world could not contain it. And yet Jesus here in this text, look at again at John 14, 12. He says, whoever believes in me, will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do. What? John has said at the end of his letter, Jesus did so many amazing works that the world couldn't contain it, and yet Jesus is saying, you, my followers, you will do even greater works because I'm going to the Father, and Jesus is preparing them for his death and his departure. He's about to go to the cross. He will be crucified. He will be raised from death to life, and then he will ascend to heaven. And he's saying, when I leave, when I ascend, you will do greater works than me. Mind-blowing. Greater works than the one who, if we compiled all of his works, the world couldn't contain it? What in the world does Jesus mean? And so here's what Jesus means. This, This greater work, what are the greater works yet to be done? It's the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 22, Jesus asked, what is the greatest thing for us to do? What is the greatest law? And he says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, to love your neighbor as yourself. 
And the, the great commission in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So the greater works that are yet to be done, it doesn't mean like you're going to go miracle for miracle with Jesus. It's important to know that. Some people interpret this passage saying like, well, if Jesus healed a dead person and he says, I can do greater works than Jesus, I can go heal and raise a dead person back to new life. Now, there are some testimonies of that happening. Not to say that God couldn't use any one of us to potentially pray somebody who has been dead back to life. God might do that. But Jesus does not mean when he says, you will do greater works than I, that we can look at any of Jesus' miracles and works and say, well, I'm going to one-up Jesus. That's not what he's saying. Important to know. What he's saying, the greater work yet to be done is the fulfillment of his kingdom on earth being spread around the globe, all different tribes and tongues and nations and languages coming to love God the Father and glorify God the Father through loving Jesus and loving others. That's what he's getting at. And look at, look at verse 15. We'll get more into this again next week, but John 14, 15, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. How hard is it to keep Jesus' commandments? Pretty hard? It can be. Any of you sin ever? Any of you prioritize something other than God yet today? Keeping God's commandments is harder than wowing people with miraculous signs. And part of what Jesus is getting at here is the greater works is that, is that I will transform people from the inside out so that they will become lovers of God and others and they will grow in the ability to keep my commandments. And then they will go and they will fulfill my great commission. My gospel, my good news will go around the world. And we see this in Matthew chapter 28, where he says, go and make disciples. And then in Acts chapter 1, where he says, wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you, and then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. That's what Jesus is getting at here. What is the greater works yet to be done? It is that we, you and I, are here in St. Louis Park 2,000 years after Jesus spoke these words and we're worshiping him in a different language, in a, on a different continent, different skin color, different culture, right? Isn't that amazing? That's a great work. That's what Jesus is getting at. What are the greater works yet to be done? We're a product of that. And anyone who we share the gospel with and they respond, they're a product of this greater work being done. How will these greater works be accomplished? The third question. Okay, so Jesus says, you will do greater works. We, we understand what he means by doing greater works. Now, how will that happen? That's going to be the rest of John chapter 14 through John chapter 15 into John chapter 16. He's going to explain that. So over the coming weeks, we're going to see more and more how these greater works will happen how they will be accomplished. But today, I just want to just give you the quick answer. It's through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus is going to go on to say. He, he says, um, it is good for you that I go away. Look at verse 15 and 16. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Hard to do. We need his help. That is a greater work. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Look over at verse 26 as well. He says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. 
Jesus goes on to teach that the way that the greater works will be accomplished is through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus will ascend back into heaven, but he says, I won't leave you as orphans. I won't leave you alone. I will send the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God is the sacred wind. That's the Greek word for it. It's like how God works in mysterious ways that we can't manufacture or manipulate or control. It's the Holy Spirit, the sacred wind of God blowing whichever way God sends it and chooses. He's the third member of the Trinity. That doesn't mean that he's like the subordinate in the Trinity. It's God the Father, Jesus the Son, the Holy Spirit. They're all equal, one being, different roles. I don't know how that works. Embrace the mystery of it. He's the third member of the Trinity. He comes alongside us. This is the Greek word where where it says helper. He comes alongside to help, to support, to counsel, to comfort, to convict, to teach, to encourage, and to empower us for life and godliness. To understand the Holy Spirit is the, the best way that I can think about what the Holy Spirit's job is. It's to make us like Jesus. And so Jesus says, I'm going to send this Holy Spirit to you. He will make you like Jesus. And becoming like Jesus, that means you will love God the Father with all your heart, soul, and mind, and you will love neighbor like self. Not through your own moralism, not through your own church attendance, not through your own devotional reading, not through your own prayer life, through the Holy Spirit who will make you like Jesus. That's how this is accomplished. Number four, the next question, what does it mean to pray in Jesus' name, right? I mean, like, he says, um, okay, so verse 12 at the end, he says, because I'm going to the Father, and again, we're going to see that more in the coming weeks, he's going to ascend. As he ascends, he sends the Holy Spirit. He says, whatever you ask in my name, what does that mean? Does it mean to just say, like, if I say in Jesus' name, is, is that what, it means, or can this get into like taking the Lord's name in vain where we use God's name to try and get something that we want rather than something that God wills? What does Jesus mean? I love what the ESV study Bible says on this note. I think it's so simple and helpful. It says, what this means, to pray in Jesus' name, means praying in a way that is consistent with Jesus' character and will. So when we look through the scriptures, we see Jesus' character and Jesus' will. And to pray in his name is to pray in a way consistent with who God is in the person of Jesus Christ. Still doesn't answer the question why he doesn't always give us what we ask. We'll get there. But I think this is just a good framework for understanding what it means to pray in Jesus' name. Also, Matthew chapter 5. This is the Lord's Prayer. Let's look, there, look at that real quickly. Matthew chapter 5. Flip over to that passage. Did I say chapter 5? Chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. It's on page 811 in the Pew Bible. Jesus teaches us how to pray. Now, this isn't to box us in and to say this is the only way we can pray, but it's to give us some categories, some, some tracks to run on. It's to give us the character and the will of Jesus. As we see how he taught us to pray, this is how we ought to pray. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees you in secret will reward you. And this isn't saying that that's the only way to pray, right? He's getting at the heart of the matter. Are you praying as a public show of your religiosity, or are you praying in intimacy to God the Father? 
says, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. So those of you who are really insecure about public prayer, I don't know the right words to say, you're better off than those who think that they have the right words to say in prayer, right? There's some people who have big, lofty theological ideas and prayers and accurate prayers that God loves and honors, and there's other people who are like, I don't know those words. I don't know how to, I'm nervous or insecure about praying. Actually, you might have more of a childlike faith and your community group, your friends, your church might need to hear your simple prayers because it will humble those who have become proud in their ideas about God. Amen? Amen. Jesus' words. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is what it means to pray consistent with God's character and will, with Jesus' character and will. Jesus gives us an example of it. Next, number five, what should we ask for in Jesus' name? So if that's what it means to pray in Jesus' name, like what are the guardrails? Can I ask for the twins to beat the Astros? I did it in Jesus' name. It wasn't answered. Can you ask for your loved one to be healed? Can you ask for yourself to be like? right? This is, this is where rubber meets the road for us. How does our theology and our relational practice with God interact and intersect? And what do we do when there seems to be distance or difference? And, and it's hard to understand. So what should we ask for in Jesus' name? Now, this is not going to be exhaustive. I want, I want to give you some ideas of what it might look like to ask for things in Jesus' name. The, the first is just that God's will would be done. Like, think about what we just read in Matthew. His kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You can absolutely pray that in Jesus' name because Jesus told us to. You can ask for your daily bread, for God's provision in your life. Ask for his help in forgiving others. That's hard to do. You should ask for it. If you're holding bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness towards others, God do a greater work in me. And it's so amazing that Jesus on the cross, he looks out over the crowd who crucified him and says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And a greater work is for you and I to be able to look at people who have wronged us and to say, God, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's miraculous. So we can pray that God's kingdom come, that God's will be done, that, that our daily bread is given, that, that we're able to forgive our debtors as they forgive us, we're able to pray that we would not be led into temptation, but that we would be delivered from evil. Luke chapter 22. We don't need to flip there, but this is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane before his hour of suffering, before he is led to Calvary and put upon the cross. And he says, Lord, if there be any other way, take this cup from me. His flesh does not want to endure the suffering that he's about to endure. But he says in this prayer in Luke 22, if there's any other way, take this cup from me, yet not my will be done, but your will. We pray God's will. That's what we ask for in Jesus' name. God, your will be done. And then in uh, 1 John chapter 5, 
verse 14, the author of this book also writes a letter to the church and he prays in this passage. Where is it? I don't have it in my notes. I'm going to look at it real quick. If you want to come there with me, you can. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. Keep your finger in John 14 because we're going to come back there. First John chapter 5, verse 14, it's on page 1023 in the Pew Bible. John writes and he says, And this is the confidence that we have towards him. Oh, actually, I have it up. I have it right here. Look at that. And this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Isn't that amazing? What should we ask for in Jesus' name? God's will to be done. God's will to be done. God's will to be done. Now, we have a will. And God has a will, and sometimes our wills align, and sometimes they don't. So that's where the sticking point in in praying in Jesus' name and asking for things comes in. Is this my will? Is it God's will? Well, it sure does. My will sure does seem like it ought. Like, how could it not be God's will? How could God allow suffering? How could He allow loss? How could. That's the sticking point. That's the relational rub with our theological categories. And so, church family, I just want to remind us that, that, that we, in Jesus' name, we can always ask that God's will would be done. And there's some humility to say, man, it sure does seem like my will ought to be God's will, but I don't have the whole picture. I don't have the big perspective. I don't know everything. I'm not holding the world together. And so there's humility to say, God, your will be done. We can also ask for increased love for God and others. And that's the entire ethic of John 13 through 17. Jesus is trying to get his disciples in his last moments with them to grow in love for God and others, God and others. So I think we should just, in Jesus' name, boldly ask, God, would you increase my love for you and for other people? We can ask for the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk more about this next week, but if you look at John chapter 14, verse 16, Jesus says, and I will ask the Father... It's interesting, Jesus is modeling us how to pray, and Jesus asks the Father in his own name, right? He's using his own name, asking the Father to send the Holy Spirit to help us. Verse 26, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. So if God sends the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus, we in the name of Jesus ought to ask for the Holy Spirit. And we can ask for the Holy Spirit in increased measure. Like when you're saved, and I'm not going to get into the weeds on this because it's too much for this morning and this sermon, but when we're saved, we have the Holy Spirit given to us. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. But we can keep in step with the Holy Spirit or we can quench the Holy Spirit. And we can, in the name of Jesus, say, God, grant me more of the Holy Spirit. Help me to keep in step with your Holy Spirit. Help me to be led by your Holy Spirit. Allow your Holy Spirit to do the work that he can only do in my life. I want to do greater things in the name of Jesus, and I need the Holy Spirit to do that. And then lastly, we can ask for whatever we want. Hmm. Look at John 15, verse 7. We'll we'll get deeper on this in a couple weeks. But Jesus himself says in John 15, 7, he says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. There it is again. 
Jesus says in John 15, 7, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. He says in John 14, verse 12 and 13, that, that if you ask anything in his name, it will be done for you. And so there's freedom for the children of God to ask the Father for things that they want. Amen? Parents, sometimes you get annoyed with your kids asking you for certain things. God is a much better parent than us. His patience is far greater. His perspective is far greater. But as a parent also, you, like, you want to know what your kids want, right? Even if it's not something they're going to get in that moment or something that would be good for them in that moment, you want to know what's on their heart and mind. And Jesus here is giving you and I that access to God, that, that relational permission with God that we can come before him and, and ask for what we want. But there's this caveat here if we're abiding in him, right? And so the more that we abide in him, the more that we're filled with his Holy Spirit, the more that we keep in step with him, the more that we do life with him, the more that our prayers will reflect God's will. They're not always going to perfectly align. That's where humility comes in. God, is this your will or my will? I want to surrender my will to your will. I trust that your will is greater. Like Jesus himself, Father, if there be any other way, take this cup from me, yet not my will be done, but your will be done. God, I don't see how this makes sense. I don't see how this suffering could happen. I don't see how this loss could happen. I don't want it to happen. God, your will be done. You must know something that I don't know. You must see something that I can't see. You must be doing something that I yet don't understand. And so we have the freedom to ask. So church family, approach your father and ask him for what you want. Submitting it and surrendering it to his will and working and striving and growing and abiding in him. Last question, and we're going to go through this really quickly here. Why doesn't God always do what we ask? I've already touched on some of this, but let's just go through a few of the basics because we're not abiding in him. I mean, he says in verse 15, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So, so there is this level like, like, have you fostered a relationship with God through the person of Jesus Christ? And if you have, what you ask is probably going to be an easier yes because it's going to be in line with God's character and nature. If you haven't, abided in him, if you haven't developed a relationship, relationship with him, you won't have much of a grid of relational connection to God to understand what he might want. It's like someone else, like any of your kids might come up to me and ask me for something. I'm like, I don't know you, you don't know. But if my kids ask me, right, it's a different relationship. That's how it works with God. It's a, it's a relationship. He's not a genie in a bottle. You rub him the right way and you get your thing. You abide relationally with him. And so sometimes we don't get what we ask because we're not abiding and we're not asking the right thing. Sometimes we don't get what we ask because we're not delighting in him. Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So ask what you want. Express your desires. But if you're delighting yourself in the Lord, your desires, your wants will be most, more closely aligned with his. Right? Your will and his will will become more aligned and closer in parallel as you abide, as you delight. We might not be getting what we ask because we're living in willful disobedience to him. There's some passages in the scripture, and we don't have time to do an inductive study on that point this morning. But there's some passages in the scripture that, that show us that, man, if, if we're stiff-arming God, if, if we're... If we're not tending to the relationship that we have with God, again, it comes back to our 
wants and desires and our will are usually less in step with him because we haven't been fostering the relationship. And so it might be that you're not getting what you want because you're living in willful disobedience to him. You've been stiff-arming him and pushing him away, and you have no idea what he might want in any given situation because you've been focusing on what you want. So those two might need to come into alignment a little more. We might not be getting what we want because we're asking selfishly. You write this verse down and look at it on your own later. I'm not going to go there this morning for time's sake, but James just plainly says that you have not because you ask not. And when you do ask, you ask for your own passions. Again, my will versus God's will. Maybe my will hasn't been surrendered to God's will. Maybe I don't understand what God might want in this situation. And, And I'm giving in to the cravings of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life. We might not be getting what we want because we're asking for our will rather than his. That's kind of the big idea, right? This all kind of comes together underneath that umbrella. Ask for what you want, church family, son or daughter of God. Your father wants to hear. He wants to know. In fact, he already knows. It builds your relationship when you tell God, God, here's what I really want. Here's what I'm afraid of. Here's what I'm worried about. Here's here's what I don't want to live without. Here's my comforts. Here's my idols. And it builds relationship. And as we do that, as we approach God as a father through relationship, we begin to understand his will and we begin to to be able to, through the power of his Holy Spirit, align our will to his. And then last point for this morning, we don't always get what we want because the world is broken and waiting. The world is broken and waiting. There will come a day when all things are made right. And that day isn't yet today. It might be. Jesus might return later today or call us home later today, and then all things will be made right. But until that day comes, we're living in a broken world filled with suffering and wanting and waiting for the glory of God to be revealed. So that's that's the ultimate thing to kind of bring these two together. Why don't we always get what we want? Because our will may not be aligned with God's will. And even sometimes when it is, there's this reality that the world is broken and waiting for a greater day yet to come. I'm going to read Revelation 21 to close out the sermon this morning. As I do, just listen to this promise about the day that is coming. And then when I'm done reading this, the band will play a song and and we invite you to the table. I know we have some family members here who haven't been to Park Community Church yet before. We take communion every Sunday at Park Community Church to be reminded of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. That he came to redeem us, to save us, that he gave his life on our behalf. He shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. And you are welcome to the table at Park Community Church. Whether you're a part of our church, whether you know anything about our theology or denomination, it doesn't matter. If you want to walk with Jesus... Call him your Lord and Father and Savior. You're welcome to come and take communion as the band plays. There's two stations here in the front, two in the back. Please come and take of the bread and drink of the cup. As a reminder of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Let me read Revelation 21 as we close out. Again, John, the author of the book that we're studying, writes another book from a vision that he has. And he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. 
And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for behold... The former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son and my daughter. So, Lord, we come to the table this morning knowing that that is the greater day that we have to look forward to. Lord, would these elements nourish us now in this moment to keep running the race with our eyes fixed on you, Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, as we await the day when there will be no more tears or pain or suffering anymore, and you will say, for behold, I have made all things new.